0: you Good evening. It's good to see everybody that's here tonight. I hope you've had a good day, maybe even got some rest today. Um, I don't ever get a nap on Sunday, <laughs> so everybody asked me that. Did you get a nap? No, not not the preacher. Uh, let me encourage you if you're there online to go to our church website, HighlandBaptistChurch.com. It's under the Info tab that you can download our worship bulletin. Uh, there you can also download the children's worship bulletins. Uh, you can find us there on all those social media platforms: on Facebook, Twitter at HBC Tullahoma, on YouTube at Highland Baptist Tallahoma, and our new phone live streaming number uh, that we have. It's a different number now. If you need that number. Number, uh, to share with someone you can call the church office at 931-45-0645. four five five zero six four five we'll be glad to give you that number uh, if you are already a subscriber it'll automatically already call you uh, it'll just show up as a different caller ID and if you don't answer it right then you'll have to recall that number that was on your caller ID uh, so um, we'll share that with you gladly if you'll just call the office let me encourage you also that you can download our, our prayer list there under the info tab so be sure to do that if you need any of these things uh, in person tonight, the bulletins are in the windowsills and on the tables as you leave, uh, as well as the prayer list is out here on the table in the hallway. Uh, and so, I encourage you to pick up those. Don't forget to keep praying for our North American missions and our Annie Armstrong Easter offering. And also, if you want to do your offering there online, uh, you can do that by going to Howland Baptist Church.com, click the far right hand tab that says Give Online. Real easy, simple platform that you can do there. Or you can bring your offering by the church anytime during our business hours. You can mail it to the church at Post Office Box 1195, Tullahoma, Tennessee, 37388. Or you can drop it in the offering plates if you're able to come in person. But glad to see everybody that's here tonight. Brother Mike, if you'll come, lead us in our hymn.
1: Turn to 455. Let's have some fun with a a neat song, I Must Tell Jesus. 455.
0: take your Bibles, if you will, and turn tonight to John's Gospel, John chapter 5, as we continue our walk through the life of Jesus. Uh, We come to a very familiar story to many of us. Uh, You may not have ever seen uh, the place that we're going to look at. I hope to be able to show you a picture here in a little bit of it. Uh, But the message I've entitled it tonight, We Need a Miracle. Uh, We need a miracle in more than one way. Uh, We need a miracle physically many times, but we need a miracle spiritually in the church and across our nation. So John chapter 5, verse 1 and verse 2, let's stand as we read God's word in honor of his word. And after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to this passage tonight and we look at this miracle, I pray, Lord, that you will help us to see that we ourselves need a miracle. There may be those who are here tonight. There may be those who are watching online who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and they need the greatest miracle of all, and that's the miracle of salvation. They need Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. So I pray that you will perform a miracle in their hearts and their lives tonight by helping them to come to the place of trusting by faith in Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. But Lord, there are many others of us who already know Christ as our Lord and Savior. And, and Father, I just pray that we would realize we need a miracle also. We need to be sharing that gospel message with people around us uh, who need that miracle in their lives. But Lord, I pray that we'll realize where the source and the strength For our miracles comes from it comes from you and we just give you the glory and the honor for this passage bless the reading of it the hearing of it as well as the keeping of it in jesus name we pray amen you be seated in this story one of the things that we're going to encounter here is a man who is in need of a miracle and here's what i want to say there are people who are maybe here today maybe watching online that you are in need uh, of a miracle. You may have come here uh, tonight or you may be watching online and, and, and you know the circumstances of your life and, and where you are at this particular point that you need a miracle. Maybe it's a, it's a miracle in your marriage that you need. Uh, if something doesn't happen, if events does, do, don't change, uh, if circumstances don't reverse themselves, your marriage isn't going to make it and you're in need of a marriage miracle. Maybe you're in need uh, of an employment miracle. Uh, You know job security is not what it used to be Uh, and maybe it looks like your job is going to be terminated and you have no real viable prospect at this point uh, in time and if something really doesn't happen then you're going to be out of a job and you need an employment miracle. There's some who may need a financial miracle. Uh, maybe some deadlines are coming up, some loans are coming due, some bills are needing to get paid, and we know with inflation how, how things are going. Maybe your 401K is at the bottom and, and you're getting ready to retire. If something doesn't happen, you're not going to be able to retire, and you really could use a financial miracle. Well, notice here, here's a man who comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, and what happened to him is what needs to happen to all of us when we're in need of a miracle. This man's name is not mentioned here. We don't know what his name was. Uh, We find out uh, that this man uh, met Jesus. Uh, We're simply told in verse 5 that it was a certain man. Uh, He's nameless. uh, And we won't know his name until we get to heaven. He's just one of the crowd of the many who had come to the pool at Bethesda uh, on that day. We're told a little bit about that pool of Bethesda uh, in verse 2. Notice verse 2 again. It says, now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. Now, it's near the sheep gate. And we know that it's a a pool that has five uh, colonnades that are covered with a roof. They're like porches, five porches, if you will, next to this. And so when you go to Israel, uh, if you go to St. Anne's Church there, which is near the sheep gate, where the sheep gate was, uh, the city of Jerusalem has a number of gates that you can go through. The sheep gate was one of them because in the Old Testament, that's the place that they would bring the sheep in, uh, in, in the Old Testament, to the sheep market. Uh, they would be purchased uh, in that area, and many of them would be carried over to the temple to be sacrificed. So near where the place of the sacrifice was. That's important for us to understand tonight. Uh, where the sacrifice was, where the lambs uh, of sacrifice were bought and were sold, that's where this particular pool is. Now, you'll see on the screen here uh, this picture uh, from St. Anne's Church there of the Pool of Bethesda. You may not be able to see it very clearly. You can up here a little better than you can back there. But if you'll notice down in the bottom part of the picture there, you'll see a round pool. There's actually several of these pools uh, that are around in that section. The Pool of Siloam is not far uh, from there also. And this is what is believed to be the Pool uh, of Bethesda at St. Anne's Uh, church there. This would have been the pool uh, that's been excavated there, uh, where this man was gathered around this pool with many other people who were seeking a miracle. Uh, It's also in this same area. They found two pools. Uh, They found uh, five porches. Also in that area, they found a faded mural Uh, that's a picture of an angel uh, who is moving the water. And so it's believed that this is the pool that is referred to uh, in these verses. The name Bethesda, think about Bethesda, Bethesda, we have Bethesda Hospital, which is a a military hospital there uh, in in, uh, Washington, in uh, Baltimore area there. Uh, Bethesda means House of Mercy. House of Mercy. And, And so how interesting it is that at the gate of sacrifice, where the lambs come in, there's a pool that's called the House of Mercy. So get that picture. What a beautiful picture that is. That at the gate of sacrifice, there's the house of mercy. And here's this man who's sitting at the pool of Bethesda, the house of mercy. And we're told in verse 3 uh, that, that he was just one part of a great multitude. There were a lot of people uh, who were there. So notice, if you will, verse 3. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame And paralyzed. And so when you look at the people who were gathered there, you'll discover this wasn't the normal crowd uh, that people would like to necessarily be around. These were the people who were the down and out. These were people uh, who uh, many times because they were sick. Uh, You wouldn't necessarily not want to be around them. They're real victims. Here are people who have real needs. Uh, These people have real problems. And this great multitude of sick people are gathered around this pool here, people who have all kinds of problems. You know, today... Even so often, we want it to be different from that, don't we? We want everything to be perfect. We want perfect people. We want uh, the, the the American dream people to come uh, to church. We want the cultured. We want the refined. And yet there were great multitudes here at this pool who had all kinds of needs. And, and by the way, these are the very people that Jesus left heaven and came all the way to earth to die for uh, on the cross. Understand this. The church is not a trophy case uh, for us to display the perfect saints. It's a hospital for, to nurture and to care for the healing uh, of hurting saints. And, and so that's what a church is all about. That's why we're here. A lot of people don't want to have those kind of people uh, around church. Uh, homeless people, uh, people who, who may have sores that are, that are oozing. Uh, it's a compliment, though, when a, when a church reaches out to touch those people and to meet those needs. Because, in fact, that's what we see Jesus does here what a great compliment it is and what a, how great it is when a church reaches out to people who have problems when people uh, Come who have need of miracles in their life. And so he is just one of A multitude of people who had special needs there at the pool of Bethesda. So let's take the camera if you will and zoom in a little bit closer because i want to call to attention first of all here uh, this needful man we see this again as we read verse three uh, and continuing on down through verse five so it says in these in this uh, this colonnade next to this pool lay a multitude of invalids blind lame and paralyzed Uh, He, this man was there. Uh, He had an infirmity. Uh, He had a sickness. Uh, We we find out uh, that that he had this sickness for 38 years. You'll notice that this man is a powerless man. Uh, He, it says in verse three, that it was a multitude of individuals. Now that word is the same word that's used over in Romans chapter five and verse six, where it describes our condition before God spiritually. Here's what that verse says in Romans 5, verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. It says that while we were still weak or while we were still without strength, it's the same word that's used here. You could say literally of us spiritually, while we were still invalids. And so what a picture that is of what sin does to us and how the disease of sin gets a hold of us. Here's a man who is without strength. It's interesting to note when we get down to verse 14 that this man's particular ailment was due to his personal sin. Now that wasn't always the case with individuals that Jesus healed. Uh, you can look at what Jesus says to him later on uh, after the cure. Uh, he says, See, you're well. And then he says to him, Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. So sometimes sickness comes because of our sin. There are consequences to things that we do that are sinful. And so Jesus is saying to this man, You were sick in the first place because of a problem of sin in your life. And as we said, that's not always the case. Sickness today isn't always the direct result of someone's personal sin. If you question that, then you'd look over to John chapter 9 and read about the man who was born blind. And the disciples asked him, Lord, did this man uh, sin because he was born blind? Did he sin or did his parents sin? And you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, neither one. He's sick like this. He, he, he's born blind uh, so that the glory of God might be made manifest in him. So not all sickness is due to personal sin. That's one of the things we need to understand as we go through this. But ultimately, we know that all sickness is due to sin in general. Because that's one of the things, sin and sickness came out of the Garden of Eden. In fact, when Adam and Eve came out of the Garden of Eden, we find out that that they were to be cast out so they wouldn't eat of the tree of of life after they had eaten of the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil and might live forever in that sin. And so we find that when they come out of the Garden of Eden, we find that they're going to die. That means there's a process that's begun to happen in their bodies where their bodies have begun to deteriorate. And over the generations and over the, the, the millenniums uh, from the time uh, of Adam and Eve, things have gotten worse and worse with us physically to where we don't live as long as they did in the early parts of the Old Testament. Uh, we find out that we don't even live many times as long as they did in the latter parts of the Old Testament. I mean, you're lucky to live to be 100 years old. Uh, you get your picture on a smucker's jelly jar. <laughs> You know, And so uh, the, the Bible says that we can live a little bit longer than that, but but that's not always the case. And so what we see here is that sin continued to progress. Sin brings about sickness. Sickness brings about death. Now, it is true that in some instances people are sick because of their personal sin, but most of the time it's because of sin in general. And God wants to use it to bring glory to uh, to him and good into your life. In either case, that's what he wants to do, whether it even is a result of your own personal sin. So when you read in the Bible about different diseases, and many times these diseases, they are illustrations of what sin is like and the devastating effects of sin. Look at verse 3. It tells us the kind of people who were there, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Blindness is a picture uh, of sin because sin blinds us to the things of God. We talked a bit about that this morning. It blinds us to what life is all about. Uh, And the Bible says that the God of this world hath blinded the eyes of them that believe not. Now, the next one is is lame, or in some versions you'll see it's the word halt. Uh, The halt or the lame means to be limping. It means to be crippled. And so what we see in the picture of that to us spiritually is that sin is a crippler. It keeps people from knowing how to walk and how to live life in Christ. And then the word paralyzed, other versions use the word withered. Uh, Sin has a way of drying up your life and, and wasting you away. How many people's lives are wasted today by the devastating effects of sin? So think about that. All uh, of the devastation that sin causes in people's lives today. Think of all the heartache. Think of all the shattered homes. Think of all the problems. Think of all the conflict. Uh, Think of all the embarrassment and, and all the disaster. All of the things that sin brings into the life of a person. Here's a man who is powerless. Not only is this man powerless... This man is helpless. Notice where he's at. He's not up jumping around. He's not up, uh, been to the house and done things and come back. This man is sitting by the pool of Bethesda. Now, we don't know how long he had been sitting there or how long he, he, he came there. Maybe he had been coming all of the 38 years uh, of this time, but evidently he had been coming for a long, long time and he had been sitting at that pool. Notice what uh, verse four uh, goes on to say, for an angel it says went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. Now in the oldest manuscripts that verse is not there, so you may have a NIV that it's not there. The ESV doesn't have it, but the King James uh, does. I, I think it's an important verse because you do see the reference of it later in some of these other verses uh, that. That we'll see, and so it gives us a little bit more explanation about what they were thinking. Now, this is what their thought was about what happened when the water was troubled. Now, this verse makes uh, makes reference to the troubling of the water. It's altogether possible that that's exactly what happened. That from time to time an angel would come down and would trouble the water, and there seemed to be some kind of healing power in the troubling of that water. It may have been that that was the belief of what was happening uh, when that would happen. But so here's this man who's sitting by this pool waiting for something to happen he's waiting and everybody else who's sitting around there is waiting for something to happen let me ask you tonight is that you are you waiting for something to happen are you waiting for God to give you some sign some have been sitting uh, by some of the pools of this world waiting for something to happen And from time to time, something does happen, but you may be sitting by the wrong pool. You may be waiting for the moving of the water at the wrong place. This man, he's basically helpless. He's evidently a cripple. He can't even walk, as we'll see uh, down in verse 7. Verse 7, and I'm not sure if I have this and in this part of the. Outline or not, but it tells us here that he had no one to put him in the pool. Uh, so it indicates there that he couldn't get himself to the pool. Uh, it, it was a, it was every man for himself at the pool of Bethesda. Does that sound kind of like today in the day we live in? Every man for himself. Uh, you get yours and don't worry about anybody else. This man, notice what he says in verse seven. He says, "Sir, I have no one." To put me into the pool when the water is stirred up and while I'm going another steps down before me. Uh, So either he's crippled and he cannot get there or because he's crippled he's so slow that everybody else is beating him to the water when it gets stirred. And and so he says, I don't have anybody. What a sad statement. I don't have anybody anybody you know sometimes we feel like that it may not be true but sometimes we feel like that i don't have anybody and that's a sad statement it reminds us of the statement that david made in one of the psalms when david said nobody cares for my soul now that wasn't necessarily true because god did that's a sad thing though maybe you're you're sitting there thinking Maybe you're even watching online and you're thinking, nobody cares about me. I, I live and I go to work and, and, my, and do my day or whatever it is I may do in my day, and people don't care if I'm alive, people don't care if I'm dead. They don't care if I'm there or care if I'm not. Nobody cares for me. Let me ask you this. If you're involved in a Sunday school class, do you care? Think about the kids that come to Awana or the kids in nursery. Do you care? Who's going to care about the people in this world if God's people don't care? You see, God has placed us where we are uh, amongst the hundreds of people around us who are needy, who are hurting people all around us. And we have the tools and we have the message and we have the resources. We have the opportunity to reach out and to care for them in the name of Jesus Christ. Just a simple act that we're doing on Fridays with this large group of people. It's about 250, 275 vehicles every Friday that come and park in this lot to go get food down at the Westside Nazarene Church. They count about two people per car. So 500 plus every Friday who are coming. And it's just a simple act of us opening the restrooms in this building over here to minister to those people, to talk with them, to let them know somebody cares. I'd encourage you, if you've not signed up for that ministry, there's a plug right there. Sign up for that ministry. Uh, The sign up sheet's on the board in the hallway. But notice this. Notice this, we have the opportunity to reach out. God has placed us where we are. God has placed you where you are. Hey, you may be at home and you may not have been able yet to come and to join us in fellowship here in person. But know this, right where you are at your home, God has you there for a purpose and for a reason. He wants you to use you right where you are. Maybe it's your neighbors. Maybe it's a, a friend. Maybe it's a family member that you just pick up a phone and you call them and you just talk to them so that they know somebody cares. Most importantly that you're able to share with them that God cares. Jesus cares. You know, of all the people we of all the people in the world we as the church need to care. All of us know somebody who needs Jesus. But here's a man who is who is helpless. He has nobody to help him. Not only is he helpless, this man is surely hopeless. He's been in this situation for 38 years. Did you imagine that? I mean, think of whatever disability you may have or, or whatever ailment you may have. And, and Or think of something that someone else may have. To have that and deal with that and dwell with that for 38 years. The book of Proverbs says, hope deferred maketh the heart sick. Think about it. 38 years and no cure. 38 years, and he couldn't walk. 38 years, and there was nobody to help him. He's come to the point where he's lost all hope in life. Wow. Maybe there's somebody who's here tonight, or maybe there's someone who's watching tonight, and you need a miracle because you've lost all hope. You've just about given up. For this man, the pool of mercy, think about this. That's what the name of it was. Pool of mercy has become a pool of misery. Because every time he sees somebody else get to the water before he does. Every time the water gets stirred, it's somebody else. And he feels like, I'm never going to get the healing that I want. 38 years. But notice a powerful master. Look at verse 6 verse 6 says, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been there a long time, whether that was a long time in years or a long time that day, uh, he had been there for a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? And the sick man uh, answered him, sir, that's where he told him I don't have anybody. And then verse 8 says, Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. So notice this man said, nobody cares for my soul. But there was one person who did care for his soul, and his name is Jesus. There's one person who cares, who is a master, who is a great physician, and his name is Jesus. Nobody else may have cared about this man all of these years. Nobody may care uh, about this man at this pool. Uh, They haven't cared until this time that Jesus comes walking up. And when Jesus gets to the scene, there is somebody who cares. You want to find somebody who cares? then you start drawing near to Jesus yourself because he already cares. He already cares so much that he gave his body and his blood on the cross for you. So look at this picture of Jesus. Jesus comes walking through that sheet gate. Now remember who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? He's the Lamb of God. And he's walking through the sheep gate where the sheep would come uh, to be sold then, to be brought as sacrifices. He comes, what a picture, through that sheep gate as the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Jesus comes walking into that area around the Bethesda pool. Jesus Christ, who is the great physician, is the one who can bring about this miracle-working cure in the life of this man. And he's the only one who can bring about that in our lives. Let's take a look at this powerful man, Jesus. First of all, it says here in verse 6 that Jesus sees. I think that's interesting. Because sometimes when we feel like we don't have anybody, we feel like there's nobody that knows what I'm going through. They don't see what I'm going through. But the Bible says here, think about this, all this multitude of people, those who were blind, those who were lame, those who were paralyzed... And Jesus saw him. And of all the people that was there, Jesus doesn't heal anybody else who's there. He sees this man who's been there 38 years with this illness, can't get into the pool to get the healing. He sees this man. Did you know that Jesus sees you right now? He sees you right where you are. He sees the hurt in your heart. He sees the pain in your body. He knows exactly what you're going through. He saw you yesterday, and whatever you may be going through in the morning, whatever challenges you may face tomorrow, whatever problems you have been going through at your house, Jesus sees and he cares. Notice also, not only does Jesus see, Jesus knows. That's one thing to see, Someone, that's what he does. He saw him lying there, notice the rest of that, and knew that he had already been there a long time. Know this, Jesus knows everything about you. When you feel like there's nobody else who knows what you're going through, Jesus does. So notice here, he not only, uh, he, he knows everything about you. He knows all about it. He knows what your need is right now. He sees this man and he knows that he has needs. He knows he's been there a long time. He knows all about him. It says not only that he sees, but we learn here that he, he knows and he searches out for him. He says, it says he said to him, do you want to be healed. What an amazing statement. I mean, think about that for a moment. Is Jesus dumb? Do you want to be healed? I've been sitting here for 38 years. What do you think, Jesus? Sure, I want to be healed. So Jesus knows this man wants to be healed. It's an astonishing statement because here's this man who's been sick for 38 years. Here's this man who's been coming to this pool hopeful that he would get well. Here's this man who his desire and his hope and the longing of his life is that he wants to get well. And Jesus says, do you want to get well? Of course. Jesus, he wants to get well. What are you talking about? Don't be so quick. Did you know that there are some people who find it convenient to be sick? Some people, if you don't wanna know how bad they are doing, don't ask them how they're doing. Some people enjoy poor health. Some people, it's become a convenient crutch, it's an attention getter, and it's always something uh, that's about them. It's an opportunity sometimes for for self-pity. And the same thing is true in the spiritual realm. Here's the question for us spiritually. Do we want to get well? Now, our answer immediately would be yes. Yes, I want to get well. I want to get well physically. And yes, I want to get well spiritually. And so here's the question. There are some that spiritually that question is asked. And you're asked, do you want to get well And what we need to realize is, do you want to change? Some of us don't like change. We like the comfort of the status quo. Some people have been in a life of sin so long they've just gotten adjusted to it, and they think it's normal. Uh, They don't want to change. I mean, how many of us uh, would, would like a miracle today to get us out of, to straighten out some trouble that we're in, but we really don't want to change Our lifestyle we don't want to change if it's like this man it was a personal thing that was happening in his life that had brought about this sin and so the question is would we want to change those things in our life that have brought about the problems in our life if it's because of a result of a personal sin in our life here's another thing that I want you to notice do you Jesus addresses this man's will Do you want to be healed? So understand this. Divine omnipotence never runs roughshod over human will. I believe in divine sovereignty. I preach it all the time. The Bible clearly teaches the sovereignty of God. But when it's all said and done, God's will is ultimately going to be done. Uh, But I also believe in the freedom uh, of human will. God is the divine sovereignty, is divine in his sovereignty, but he has chosen to give you a will. God appeals, but he doesn't attack. God moves, but he doesn't twist your arm to make the decision. Uh, He extends his grace, but he doesn't impose his grace. You have a will. You have a choice in the matter. And so sitting right here tonight, sitting there in front of your TV at home or your computer or your device at at home, you have a choice. And if you decide to, if you will to, you can stay lost forever by your choice. If you absolutely insist on it, you can die and spend an eternity in a devil's hell, but God has given you a will. He's given you an opportunity to choose. And the question is, do you want to be healed? What Jesus sees, we see. We see what Jesus searches. I want you to notice what Jesus says. Jesus says to him in verse 8, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. Now notice what Jesus didn't tell him to do. What about this pool of Bethesda? What about that stirring of the water? Jesus doesn't tell him, go get down there in the water, and I'll make it stir, and you'll be healed. Jesus tells him, get up and take up your bed and walk. He gives three very quick, very clear, very crisp commands. Keep in mind that here's a man who's been sick for how long? 38 years. Here's a man who's been unable to walk. For 38 years. And Jesus says to him, get up and take up your bed and walk. Get up. Do the impossible. To this man, that's impossible. I haven't been able to do this for 38 years. And you're telling me to do something that's impossible. Do what he couldn't do. That's what Jesus was telling him. Take up your bed. Don't leave any provisions for a relapse. Don't leave it there thinking you're going to come back to it. Isn't that what we do? So often we leave a crutch there to come back to. Well, just in case it doesn't work out. When really what we need to be doing is trusting the Lord completely. Don't leave any provisions for a relapse. And then he says walk. Literally that word walk means walk around now. Start doing what you haven't been able to do for 38 years. Is that impossible? Jesus calls on us. To do the impossible. But here's the thing. With God, all things are possible. Even the impossible. Jesus always invites us to do that which we cannot do in and of ourselves. Someone may be saying, well, I would accept Jesus as my Savior if I thought I could live it. If, if I would become a Christian if I really thought I, I, would, I, I, would be, I could be the way a Christian ought to be. I've got news for you. You'll never be a Christian if you wait until you think you've got the power to live. it. If you wait until you think in your ability you can live for the Lord Jesus Christ, then you'll never come. Jesus calls those things which are not things that are. And so notice here, Jesus Christ gives power where power previously was not. This man was powerless, but Jesus enables him. If you'll just do what I say, I'll enable the power for you to do this. So notice, Jesus Christ can give you the ability to live for him. He can give you the ability to come to him. What what, what your problem is, he can give you power over it. The Apostle Paul said one time that God has enabled me having put me into the ministry." He was saying that, that where God put me, He gives me the power to perform. You may be saying that I, I, I'm too old, I can't do I can't do serve in the church. How can I serve? Well, some of us can punch a few buttons on the phone and talk to somebody. Some of us can take out a card and Write a letter to somebody, a card to somebody to let them know that God loves them. You can, you can, uh, be a, you can cook a meal. You're a cook. You love to cook. Cook a meal for somebody uh, who's in need. Maybe it's your neighbor uh, who's going through a rough time to reach out uh, to them and to serve them in that way. And so notice here, whatever the problem is, he gives you the power over it. He was saying, Paul was saying, where God put me, he gives me the power to perform. Jesus can give you the power to be everything he wants you to be. Here was a needful man. And here was a powerful master. And now we have a wonderful miracle. Notice verse 9 down to verse 17. Look at this cure in verse 9. And at once... The man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. And then notice that one little phrase at the end of that. We'd be celebrating, but there's this little phrase that's added there. Now that day was the Sabbath. What in the world does it have to do with this was the Sabbath day that this man was healed? I mean, look at that verse. At once, first of all, at once or immediately. Immediately. Uh, That means suddenly. That means on the spot. This man was made whole. He was cured. He takes up his bed and he walks. He's immediately cured. God can do a miracle in your life. He can change your life instantly. You may have joined with us tonight. And you're here lost in your sin. And you can leave forgiven. And you can leave free. You may have come paralyzed by sin but know this you can walk out of this building free by the power of jesus christ christ gives instantaneous cures to the sin problem not only is this man cured but look at this he's criticized that last part of verse 9 begins to lay out the scenario of what's to happen in the next verses now that day was the sabbath jesus healed this man On the Sabbath. And notice what it says in verse 10. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. Whoa, wait a second. This guy hadn't walked for 38 years, and you're telling him to put his cot back down because it's the Sabbath? What are you talking about? For 38 years, this man hasn't been able to walk. Wouldn't you think that everybody would be happy? I mean, here's this man who hasn't been, he's been there, everybody's seen him. 38 years they've been coming to the pool, and and he's he's come, and and they see this man. They would have seen him. They should have been rejoicing in the cure of this man. And yet, here comes the religious police. They say to him, wait a second, today's the Sabbath You can't walk around with your bed rolled up like that. That's against the rules. It doesn't matter what anybody says. What matters is what does God say. All that really matters is if you're in need of a miracle today and you meet the Lord Jesus Christ and he gives you that miraculous cure, that's all that matters. 99.9% 99.9% of the people are going to be happy and rejoice with you. But the Bible says also that there will be rejoicing in heaven uh, in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. Notice he not only criticized, he's also challenged. Verse 11 down through verse 14. So they said, wait a second, you can't do this. And they asked him. Or verse 11, he answers them and says, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. I don't care what you guys said, but that's what he told me to do, and that's what I did. And they asked him, Who is that man that said, to you take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place afterwards jesus found him in the temple and said to him see i want you to notice something you're well and then notice what he says sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you so jesus finds him where in the temple for us that'd be like the church That's a pretty good sign right there, isn't it? This man's been healed, and where does Jesus find him? He finds him in the temple. He gets healed, and now he's like, for us today, at the church. Am I saying you have to join a church in order to be saved? No, I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying that there's a pretty good evidence that a person has been changed in their heart and their life. If they love the Lord, and when they love the Lord, they want to love his church, they ought to want to be in church. Then it says that this man told them, it was Jesus who made him whole. Now, he didn't know who it was, but he said that it was that man who came and told me to do that. Verse 15 and verse 16 says, The man went away and told the Jews, now he knows, and he tells, them, to, tells the Jews, It was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now. And I am working. So what does this man begin to do? He begins to tell other people about Jesus. Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? You have had, if you're here tonight as a believer, if you're there at home as a believer tonight, you have had the greatest miracle experience already in your life. It doesn't matter what physical thing that you might need, what physical miracle you might need right now, the greatest need that you've ever had was the need of your sin debt. The greatest miracle you ever needed was that of salvation. And and so notice here that, that here is this man who begins to tell them after he's experienced the miracle who did this. Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be telling people how I got saved, how things changed in my life. And yet somewhere along the way, we've got complacent about that. Somewhere along the way. Maybe somebody discouraged us from being too excited about Jesus. Or maybe we've just become, it's just become mundane to us. And we've forgotten about the excitement and the joy that we once had in Christ. But this man begins to tell the Jews about it. He begins to tell other people about Jesus. That's what we need to do. When we experience the miracle of salvation, then truly we will begin To tell other people about it in some way. Jesus said in verse 17, My Father is working until now. The Father did the work of creation and he rested the sin. When sin entered in, the Father began to work again, and now Jesus comes and he says, I'll work. God the Father did the creation work and it took a miracle. Here's the question tonight Do you need a miracle? Do you want to be healed? You want to be healed of your sin? Do you want to be healed in a physical way? Then come to Jesus. He's the only answer for the greatest problems that we may ever face in our lives. What a powerful, powerful lesson for us to see in these verses that we need a miracle. We need the impossible. God has made a way where there seemed to be no way let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. What a powerful, powerful message from this man at the pool of Bethesda. Father, I pray that as we have seen from this passage about this man and the struggle that he faced, Lord, our struggle is even greater, the struggle of our sin death. And so, Father, I pray that if there are those who are watching, or even those who may be here, I don't presume to know anyone's spiritual condition, even tonight. There have been people uh, throughout the generations who have attended church and gone to church all their lives, and then only to realize they didn't truly know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. So I pray tonight, Lord, that if there's someone who's here, or there's someone who's watching online who doesn't know Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray, Lord, that they would just simply call out to you. Father, I pray that you'll bring the healing to their soul, to bring salvation into their lives as they acknowledge their sinfulness and as they cry out in repentance, turning away from their sin and believing and trusting in what Christ did upon the cross. And Lord, I pray that if they pray and express that in a prayer, asking Christ to come into their heart and life to save them, Father, I pray that you will help them to know that if they confess with their mouth and they believe in their heart, the Bible has said, They are saved. And so, Father, I pray that they will publicly profess that faith in Christ tonight. Others of us, Lord, we're here as believers. And somewhere along the way, we've lost that passion. and We've lost that fire that we once had, like this man had, to tell others who's healed us. Father, I pray that we'll never, ever stop telling others about Jesus. Father, I pray that in and through that and the seeds that are planted in people's hearts and lives, may you do the greatest miracle ever in growing your kingdom by bringing souls into the faith, into the body of Christ as people come to trust by faith in Christ. Lord, we know that they cannot hear unless we go and tell them. So help us, Lord, to be faithful to do that. Help us to be faithful to serve. And Lord, if we're one of those who's here tonight and we feel like this man did, that nobody cares, nobody knows. Lord, help us to understand and to realize tonight that even though people around us may not know, and there may be people around us who don't care, you do, you do. And so help us to focus on that and to know that you're the greatest friend that we could ever have. And help us to love you and to follow you and to be faithful to you. And Father, I pray that you'll make your presence known to us and that you'll remove that, that discouragement and that doubt and that hopelessness in our hearts to know that you not only see us, you know about us. You know everything that's going on in our hearts. And Father, I pray that you'll have your way and your will in our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Brother Mike, come and lead us in our hymn of invitation. As you stand, as we sing. you've had a blessed day. Uh, we look forward to seeing you back on Wednesday night. We'll be back in the book of Revelation, uh, continuing on with the prophecies there. So I encourage you to join us on Wednesday night, 6 o'clock. Uh, we do have a meal if you want to come out and join us for that. Uh, you can come out at 5 o'clock for that. And uh, we'll see you next Sunday also, next Sunday, 9.15 uh, for Sunday school, 10.30 for worship. We'll be back online. So you join us there. Share those uh platforms with everyone else too and if you need that phone number to uh, subscribe to that uh, to the phone live streaming give us a call at the church office 931 we'll be glad to give you that number you have a blessed week we'll see you this wednesday